my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Big Money Energy, where we talk to super successful and self-made people to find out exactly how they did it, how they went from nothing to something. I'm Ryan Serhant, and today I am pumped because I'm talking to Tim Armstrong. You might not know who Tim Armstrong is, but he has affected your life in ways you probably don't know. He's a pioneer in the business realm of the internet. He was in the room at MIT when people showed him up on the screen, the internet, and he jumped all over it. He is a serial entrepreneur, angel investor. He's the former CEO of AOL and former president of Google's America operations. He was part of the initial Google team. It's totally, totally crazy. We talk about a lot of things, including how to not only welcome change, but wield it as a weapon. We talk about how expanding your network actually expands your net worth and how to stay open-minded in business to create a culture of free flowing ideas. This is awesome. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode. Today is a very 
very special one because I'm sitting down with one of my favorite people. Uh, He doesn't know that yet, but I'm going to tell him. He is a mega, mega businessman and serial entrepreneur, literally the definition of an entrepreneur, Tim Armstrong. This man has done it all. He is a leading entrepreneur, angel investor, and former CEO of AOL, one of the largest companies in the world. And not to mention, he was the president of Google's America Operations. He helped establish Google's AdSense. And now he's the founder and CEO of DTX, a technology company focused on the direct-to-consumer economy. I mean, talk about an entrepreneur. And he's easily one of the most knowledgeable and influential people in the world. I am so excited to be sitting down with him today. So without further ado, Tim Armstrong. Ryan, good to see you. And uh, I'm a huge fan of yours and uh, always get a lot of energy around you. So I'm uh, really happy to be here. Yeah, man. I, I am pumped. Well, that's why I have energy when I'm around you because I'm just I'm super excited. You know, you've lapped so many people over the years. I mean, just looking at your, you know, your timeline from when you graduated college in Connecticut in 1993 to where you are today. Did you know when you graduated college that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Did you think maybe I'll just go get a regular job and get a white picket fence for the rest of my life? Like, what was that thought process like for you? Yeah, I'll tell you, Ryan. And I think uh, you and I have similar backgrounds to some degree, which is uh, I started very early in my... um, Actually, when I was about 10 years old doing businesses, even before I got to high school. And so I I did a couple things that kind of got me on that in that direction and then kind of naturally by doing some small like little neighborhood entrepreneurial things in high school I started to read business biographies just because I just enjoyed business so much which I thought I was going to go into investment banking and that's like kind of the path I went on and I was there for about 3 months and the guy I was sitting next to at the place I was was so much better at the job than I was that I went to my boss and I said, I said, I'm going to be leaving because I'm going to go off and do something entrepreneurial. But And the guy said, why are you leaving? I said, well, the guy next to me is a monster at what we do. He's amazing. So I said, you should promote him or do whatever. But I realized that if I have to compete against this guy the rest of my life, he, he should be the CEO of this place sometime. I'm going to go off and do something that I'm good at. So I, I left and started a newspaper. And from there, I've pretty much been doing that type of stuff ever since. Were you always in tune with your own strengths and and weaknesses that way? Because that takes complete balls. Most people wouldn't do that. They would say, ah, I'm going to beat that guy. Or they'd be angry or they'd be jealous. You you were humble enough at such a young age to (laughs) to be able to go and ask for, for his promotion and then quit to go start a newspaper from an investment banking job. Are you crazy? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably one of the things that has, if um, anything that I've been successful at, I think in life has been because I don't know if uh, my parents brought me up with this kind of uh, ethos. And then I played a lot of sports and I had a couple of teachers that had been impact on me. And they constantly used to say to me, celebrate other people's success and, and don't, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on them. And the world's a big place. You can be successful and other people can be successful. So I, I have a personal mission statement I have that I wrote seven years ago, but I think it encompasses kind of my philosophy even back then, which is like, in to, to this day, like nothing makes me happier than seeing someone else kicking butt at what they do. And it's one of the reasons when I, when I met you for the first time and I got to know your background, I love people like you because like I'm really energized and inspired by people who are successful and people who take the risk and do all the things you need to do. So I, I don't know. I've never had a gene where I'm like competitive with other people. I'm competitive with myself. I don't know. It's been, that's been actually a, 
I don't know if it's natural or kind of got taught to me, but it's actually been a big advantage. You've got to be open to possibilities, right? You've got to be open to the, the power of saying yes. And to also, I mean, taking risks. So sitting in a bank, like what made you think at that time that media and digital journalism and advertising was the future and was going to be your future and a profitable future? When I was going to leave the bank, I thought, I want to be successful. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people that have already gone through the gauntlets to be successful. So I'm like, I'm going to call all the CEOs in Boston. And so I started, like, made a list of all the CEOs in Boston, the big places like Fidelity. There was a bunch of big um, types of companies. And I started calling. And I was like, of course, I'd either get rejected at the front desk or sometimes I get transferred to the assistant. One day I called uh, the, the CEO of a big company. And the assistant said to me, um, how old are you? And I said, you know, I'm 22. I just want to ask the CEO some questions about like career advice and stuff. And she's like, look, the only people who get through to him directly are journalists. So I hung up the phone, picked the phone back up and I called and I said, Hey, I'm Tim Armstrong. I'm from a new publisher, a new publication that's coming out in Boston for young people. And we're going to want to do an interview with the CEO and boom, I got through. And so basically I'm like, and I, I started thinking like everyone my age probably has the same problem. So I started a newspaper called Beginnings in Boston with my best friend from high school. And all we did was try to interview people and give stories and roadmaps in your young 20s. How do you become successful? But it literally, that's how I started. It was from that one phone call. That's crazy. And it's so funny because that's now you starting that newspaper. That's people today starting vlogs. I guess you could still start a newspaper, but it probably makes more sense to do it online. Well, let me tell you a crazy story. So I start the newspaper. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's business bootcamp 101. We, my roommate and I, I learned how to program because we had to program the interface. We bought, I sold my car, bought a Quadra 650 computer, uh, Apple computer. We learned how to publish, put the, put the newspapers out. We have them distributed all over Cambridge and, and Boston. And a friend of mine calls me and says, his name is Peter Dunn. He said, uh, hey, there's these guys down at MIT who said they can publish something like a newspaper immediately without paper on a computer. So I'm like, all right. So I went down to MIT and the guys from University of Illinois who had the first browser were there. They turned it on, they loaded a website. And I said, wait a minute, did you just put information that you inputted someplace else through, you know, through this network and up on the computer screen? And like, that's all that happened is somebody had to input electronically. And they're like, yup. I literally got up, left the meeting, went back to my office, told my best friend from high school, I'm like, we're selling the newspaper and we're doing this thing called the internet. I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it's a thousand times cheaper and faster than what we're doing with the newspaper. And we're going to put the newspaper online. That's how I got introduced to the internet. And that's changed the rest of my life, that, that one meeting at MIT. That is crazy. What did you learn you know, that stuck with you from building the newspaper, as you said, Business 101, to building companies, which you did later on? You have to understand your business at a core level. And I think that's something else that people don't appreciate is when you're younger in your career and you look forward, you think that all the people went up the career, they just got bigger and made bigger decisions and things like that. But many of the people that I met during that early part in Boston, some of the CEOs and some of the other people we ended up networking with, I noticed that they were all super knowledgeable about the details of their business. And I took that when we built a, the newspaper, like, I knew how to do everything at the newspaper. And I think that's another powerful attribute is like knowing, being the world's expert at what you do. And you, I know you are for what you do, Ryan. And like, and you write books about it and you talk about it and you meet with people. And that if you don't have that, you're going to lose to other people in your business. If you don't want to become the world's expert, guess what? Someone else is. So that, that's one takeaway. 
The second takeaway is just change. Change is a, is a weapon. It's either pointed at you or you're holding it. When I didn't know what I was doing, I was able to learn, change, learn, change, learn, change. And then that formula gave me risk taking. I learned how to take risks. And so I always think back to that, which is like, if I'm not changing and evolving, I'm probably losing. It's about being part of the running river instead of the still pond. The still pond smells. It's weird. It's still a body of water, but you know you might not want to go swimming in it. The running river is clean. There's fish. There's life. There's things happening. And there's amazing, amazing opportunities around every bend, even if you don't know it. So you, you sold the newspaper and then you got uh, involved and started working at a, at a company called Starwave. What was Starwave? I got invited to go to a NASCAR event with the owners of NASCAR, the France family. So I went to this big meeting and I was sitting in the back of the room. How do you meet all these people? I'll ask you that later. Basically, I, I went to this meeting. The Francis gave this whole presentation about NASCAR. And at the end, they said, oh, by the way, we're going to launch a website. And so in the back of the room, I was like, you know, oh, hell yes. Listen, you know, now you're talking my language. So after the meeting, I went up to them and said, hey, I'm Tim Armstrong. You don't know me, but that last thing you talked about, I'm super excited about it. I'm building this company in Boston that's been doing uh, internet stuff. So anyways, uh, the Ryan France said to me, hey, there's this company, Starwave in Seattle that's growing. Paul Allen started it. It's growing quickly. They're doing internet content for how excited you are. You should think about, you know, Starwave. So I went back to my apartment in Boston and I had a message from the recruiter at Starwave because they had been calling around the United States trying to find people who were doing internet stuff. And it was so small at that point that they had called somebody wow. that I knew. And they said, Hey, this, this kid. And I, I had, at the same time had sent my application. And so I said to the woman, I said, you're not gonna believe this. I just sent an application. It was a third party recruiter to Starwave. And she said, well, your name came up because we were asking around of people who are doing internet stuff. So anyway, long story short, flew to Seattle, got a job offer the day I went there, um, told them yes on the spot, moved out like, I don't know, maybe two months, uh, no, no, two weeks later or something with a bag of clothes, didn't know anybody and um, started at Starwave. And Starwave was, did launch ESPN.com, NFL.com, NASCAR.com, ABCnews.com. And it was like the beginning of the internet, all these smart people from engineers and content people and media people from all over the US showed up here to work for Paul Allen. And this guy, Mike Slade, who's uh, Bill Gates' best friend and, and Tom Phillip, the guy who started Spy Magazine and, and was, uh, I've worked with him at Google also. So anyways, lo long story short, it was um, an amazing environment. My first environment on the West Coast, I grew up in a small blue collar town. I didn't travel much, but I learned it was like West Coast, high energy technology, smart people. And also I was really creative growing up. And it, where I grew up was not like a hyper creative environment. And this was the first place I got dropped where I was like, God, I'm home. This is like all creative people. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Walk us through how you met Sergey Brin and Larry Page and and landed at Google. That meeting alone is something that millions and millions of people could only dream of. And you actually got to do it and you got to work with them. How did that all happen? There's another super important lesson is I always say the most important decisions of your career happen when you're not in the room. At Starwave, I had the opportunity to do a couple mega deals, bigger than any other deals the company had ever done. I got a very good reputation as someone who was like highly creative, knew the space well, and could do mega deals. So um, one of the women that I worked with 
um, who is a peer of mine, went to go be a recruiter after we all, we all left Starwave. And I did a couple other things after Starwave before Google. Again, this came back around as a super helpful thing. She mentioned to the Google people, um, hey, there's this guy, he's in New York. So Omid Kordestani, who's now the chairman of Twitter, came to New York. He was at Google. He was really the first business employee at Google. Another th- crazy thing, it was like a Friday afternoon, pouring rain. I was downtown. They, this woman called me. She said, you got to meet this guy. There's this company, Google. I said, oh, I've been using Google because I was savvy on the space. I said, I love that company. And I had another job offer at the time to go be the president of one of the, the gaming companies. And I said to her, I said, I have this other job thing I'm working on. And she said, you know, Tim, she's like, I know you just take the meeting. So I said, all right. Yeah. So I hustled uptown, went to the Regency Hotel, met Omid, who I didn't know, who's now one of my one of my really close friends. I sat down with him. We had a great conversation. And he said, look, I don't know what's going to happen at Google. I don't know if we're going to be you know, big in advertising. I know you're like a big ad guy, you know, blah, 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 blah you know, come out and meet Larry and Sergey. So what was Omid's role at that time at Google? He was the basically the chief business officer of Google. Um, so Google was like, I don't even remember. It was probably like 50 people at that point or something, or maybe 75 or hundred. And it was all, it was basically all engineers. And then Omid and another woman, Joan Braddy and a guy named Bart uh, Waskowski. And there was, a, there was like three or four business people, all engineers and it was the search licensing business. I mean, they were going to start, they just started to think about getting in ads. There's another guy, David Scacco. So anyways, long story short is I fly out and have um, breakfast with Sergey and Omid and Sergey comes to breakfast and he's like, Hey Tim, he's like, you know, just, you know, we had a little chit chat. Then he's like, I don't know what questions to ask you. You interview yourself, ask yourself the questions you think I should ask you. So I was like, all right. So I'm like, I asked all the tough questions. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to pull any punch. I'm going to ask what I think, you know, chess. So I, I, you know, he would interject some questions to me to ask some questions. But in general, I would say the main part of the interview was me coming up with the questions and explaining why I was asking the question. He made you have a conversation with yourself. Yeah. But by the way, this is one of the things that Larry and Sergey absolutely brilliant at is he was getting a much fuller picture of me, which is how do you think? How do you handle that situation? What questions do you come up with? Why did you come up with the questions? And it was, you know, then I, I can tell you a million stories about how they did stuff like that at, at Google, but but I they were incredibly brilliant at that stuff. And I'll tell you this, I had another job offer that was, I forget the number, it was probably twice the amount of money. It was a massive benefits package. I think it had a car. It had like a rent a house payments for a year. It was like a unbelievable offer. Google was way smaller, way riskier, all those other things. And I was just in the process of getting married. So I was engaged and about to get married. So I, I came back and I said to my wife, who is my wife, Nancy. Now I, I said, and there's another lesson in this, which is one of the biggest decisions you make in your life is who you partner with. They have a huge imprint on you and what you think and, and those things. So I, I said to my now wife, then, then fiance, Nancy, I'm trying to make a decision between these two things. Uh, she said, what do you think? And I said, well, this is that, this is all this money and all this other opportunity and like gaming's going to be big and all this other stuff. And, you know, but you know, Google, I, I just like, I don't know, I'm like more passionate about it, but it's like a way not as good of an offer, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, she, she said, Tim, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. She said, I've been watching your eyes while you're talking about the two companies for the last month or so. 
go to Google. You'd be going to this other place for the wrong reasons. And I, you're a passionate guy. Your energy level when you talk about Google is 10x what it is the other thing. And she's like, we'll figure it out. We don't, have, we, by the way, we had no money. We were living in a one bedroom apartment, 86 in Columbus. And she said, whatever, we'll figure it out. You know, don't worry about it. So anyway, so that's how it went down. What was it like being on the Google train in those nine years? Because that's when it went from Google to Google. It was like the world's most intense science project. First year I was there, it was an unmitigated mess, like a messy science project where we were testing everything. And, and like, you know, when they hired me, by the way, this is a funny story. So when they hired me, they gave me like a one page sheet that said, we're hiring you this, here's your salary, here's your equity. And by the way, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. So <laughs> the reason I was able to go to AOL was I didn't have a non-compete because Google didn't know whether or not they were going to be big in the ad business. So they didn't, I had this like sheet of paper that said, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll just part ways, no harm, no foul. So anyways, long story short is the first order I got I said, I have a, an order coming in for advertising, you know, and um, Larry and Sergey, I said, I need to get a fax machine because I can't get the order. Just so that we're clear, they made you head of, head of US, right? Head of US yeah, sales. The ad sales. And I was in New York. I was in California. So my, my apartment in New York was the first office outside of Mountain View. So I get the first order. I call them. I say, hey, guys, I got, a, I got an order. And I'm like, I got to buy a fax machine. And the fax machine was like, I don't know how much it was. It was like 120 bucks. I'm like, I got to buy this fax machine. They're like, prove that you have the order. <laughs> what? They're like, yeah, prove that you have the order. I'm like, guys, I, I can't get the order unless I have the fax machine. They're like, we don't want to spend the money on the fax machine unless you have the order. And I'm like, so we For $120. So we had, so by the way, another lesson, Larry and Sergey were cheap. And they were, when you go to Google's profitability, why Google's so profitable it's because they were super, super good with expenses and where money was at. They'd rather spend money on tech than spend it on a fax machine. And by the way, I totally get that and respect that. But that story is the story. Like that's like having an order and fighting over spending $120 on a fax machine. That's, that's a true story. One thing Google did that other people did not do and people in media business today still don't do this, which amazes me. This is Google's secret. Every single week, we used to look at the high-performing customers and low-performing customers. And if you were below a 2% click-through rate in our ad program, even early on, we'd kick you out of the program. So you'd and let clients go and you'd let money go. Yes. And because we wanted the highest quality stuff for our end users. And what it did was it, it trained our algorithms of what good ads were. So if you think about it today, Google has pretty much mopped up the entire ad business and Facebook has and those, those type of companies. And one of the secret sauces to that is they put in a quality algorithm for You see how many bad ads you get as a human everywhere you go. They put in one quality algorithm that changed the entire game. And by the way, if you're a customer and I call you and say, Hey, Ryan, you can't run your ads unless they're high quality. I'm going to kick you off. What do you do to your ads? You make them higher quality. Make them high quality. It has a network effect, right? So, and customers used to complain about it all the time, but we ran it and did it. And, you know, that's a lot of the foresight that, that, um, that, you know, Larry and had and the team had, and, you know, we did tons of testing. It was a lot of fun. My world was Monday through Thursday, California, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, New York. So I was living this bi-coastal every week, you know, life. And I saw the difference between how New York City was doing business 
and how Silicon Valley was doing business every week. And I could see, I said, wow, these guys are, we're going to mop up the whole universe. You know, just the openness, the openness, the learning, the science, you know, and my friends in New York were, you know, they were all in different industries, but a lot of New York was like, Hey, I'm going to beat your head in and I'm the best at this. And I, it's my way or the highway. And <laughs> California was like, Hey, you have a good idea. Come on in this room. You know, it doesn't matter what your, what your hierarchy is here. You have a great idea. You speak, you know, and it was like over and over and over and over again, big difference in culture. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Then walk me to, you know, that role where you basically, you know, you were an entrepreneur, you, you, you had the newspaper, and then you started working for other people as you, you know, created your, your net worth through your network, and you kept building and building and building, and then patch media came around. I did associated content with my roommate from college, Underrug, he ended up running it. I was the biggest investor in it. And then we, I did Patch. And Associated Content ended up, it's a long story, they ended up selling to Yahoo. It was a very good financial transaction. Sold to Yahoo. And Patch, one of my theories was local news was going to get destroyed newspapers because they weren't transitioning fast enough. Local news is the most important, one of the most important things the United States has as a, as a country. So I started Patch with John Broad, another, another, uh, another uh, really close friend of mine and somebody I work with. 
before. And John and I tested it in three towns, and then we started scaling it up. And then our goal was to basically put a digital news site in every town in America. So we eventually got up to the point where we were in 3,000 towns um, in America. And um, and I, I had taken the AOL job. Time Warner had bought Patch. Patch was part of the thing I was doing at AOL at that point. I Unfortunately, I, I an activist investor who's actually now a friend of mine attacked us at AOL. And I had to sell Patch because they thought we were spending too much money on it. But Patch is still, it's profitable and growing. And the people who, who own it now are, are Charles Hale and Hale Company. They great people done a great job with it and i still think local news is one of the biggest white spaces for business in the in the u.s that's so cool that it's it's still there what did it mean to you to you know have that interview with those guys you're interviewing yourself and then you get to a point in your life where where that one negotiating item allows you to cash out for for that amount of money where you could take 25 million of it and put it into this new company that you are now completely in control of. Like it's, it's a huge company that everyone knows around the world. I mean, what was your mindset like at that time? Cause most people would say I'm out, take me to the Island. And you said, no, I'm going to go run AOL and I'm going to rebrand it, rebuild it. I'm going to help them out. And then, and then you obviously didn't you know, stop there. I have a saying, learn to earn. And when the AOL opportunity came up, I met with Jeff Bucus, who was the CEO of Time Warner. He called and said, hey, can we have a meeting? I thought it was about the Google Time Warner partnership. It's a whole other story. It was a huge deal with, with those guys. But over there, he said, hey, we got to spin AOL out of Time Warner. Would you be interested in being CEO? And so I um, le- left the meeting. I called uh, my wife, called a couple friends. And you know, one of my friends said to me, Tim, you went from a company that was almost zero at Google that went to 150 billion market cap. And you, before that, were at Starwave that got bought. Before that, you were with Rick Scott, who was, was the governor of Florida and then Senator, but at the time period, he was the CEO of Columbia HCA. We bought a company, sold it to News Corp. So I, I'd done a bunch of other things. So he said to me, you know, the only thing you don't have your resume is like, why don't you do a turnaround? And so I thought, you know what? Learn to earn. I'll figure this out. You know, I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I'll, I'll do it. So I, I, I made a fairly fast decision, actually. Did it. I told Omid and Larry and Sergey, which was pretty painful, and Eric Schmidt, and then, um, and then went to do it. And then what I did is I, I went back to zero. Did so they, I, sorry, did they, did they make you give yourself an exit interview? No, they, I was in a room with them for like two and a half hours, and they pretty much told me how stupid uh, the decision was and why I was going to regret it and you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I sat there for two and a half hours. I didn't feel very good by the time I left. But I, I just said, I just said, I, I just know myself. I've been here for almost 10 years and, you know, I don't it's time know. time to grow. So I, so I, I left. One thing I did AOL, which I, I took advice. I called a bunch of other CEOs, big, big CEOs, um, just to ask for their advice. And a couple of them told me, you know, Tim, you got to learn. It's a different job being in the number two chair, number three chair, whatever. Like it's just different. Anyways, I, I decided myself, I just did it again about uh, three years ago or three years ago when I left Verizon. I went to zero. I said, I know nothing. I'm going to start from scratch. So I read every single book I could be about a CEO. I went to see Howard Schultz, Ken Chenault, Jack Welch. You just uh, called these people and said, hey, can I come pick your brain about how you're the yeah. CEO? Of- yes. What's the job? What is it? What do you do? You know, all these other things. I'll, I'll tell you some stories. Like, So I went out to see Howard Schultz. Went out to see Howard Schultz. I had a whole strategy plan with me. I'd done all this work at AOL already. Like, boom, you know, went out there, expected to show him the strategy and give me feedback. So he's, I whip out the deck. I said, hey, Howard, I knew him a little bit. I said, I, you know, I got this deck. I want to show you the strategy. 
He said, put the deck away. He said, where's your people plan? And I said, what? He said, where's your people plan? He said, being a CEO is about people. And he said, the two things you need is a people strategy and you need an awesome head of HR. Then we'll talk business strategy, but I want to talk to you about people first. And I, I would say that was the most impactful conversation. You know, in general, the other ones were super impactful too, but I'll just, that's just one quick story. And it really helped me reset, really, really helped me reset. And so I kind of tried to cheat as much as I could. I tried to steal everybody else's knowledge and start with that. And I, you know, I made a boatload of mistakes and I, I, we, we had a boatload of success also, but I, I credit a lot of the help I got from those other people for why we made it through some of those situations. I, I have a lot of advice on that topic about mentors and stuff like that, but I that they were so helpful and so gracious with their time and energy. And then you became the CEO of another company. Yeah, so I started a company, DTX, and uh, that's the company we're doing now. Yeah, tell me, tell me about it and what it is and, and why you started it. Yeah, so I started it because I, I think the structure of the internet's broken. I think there's too much value in the middle of the marketplace. I think the really big companies, I think there should be more, more ability for brands and people to go direct to consumer. I think that like, it's really important to have an ecosystem. So I'm much more into moving value to the edges of the marketplace, back to consumers and back to businesses. So the business we built is essentially a, a direct to consumer company that connects offline to online and gives people control over their information and data both on the consumer side and, and on the brand side. I just think for someone like you, for instance, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. There's one thing people don't realize about the internet. Most of the brands on the internet and a lot of the influencers on the internet rent their own customers. And what I mean by that, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people is they're like, no, that's not true. I have a million Instagram followers or 20 million Twitter followers. And I say, yeah, but what's their address? How do you directly communicate with them? They're like, oh, I do it over those platforms. I'm like, yeah, but the platforms own those customers and you're renting them. I want more people to own their own customers. Do you think learning that and allowing people to, to own their customers, is that what you're bullish on right now as you think about the next 10 years? Because before we know it, it's going to be 2030. And we're going to look back you know, at, at the 2020s and 2021s as this wild time a decade ago. I, I, yeah, I think, I think, by the way, here's the deal. For, for your business in particular, you, know, you have your film and acting background. You have the real estate background. You have the entrepreneurial background. You're someone who deserves to have a direct relationship with all of your customers. The reason is not just for your business, but because you're somebody who adds value outside of your business and you have other interests. I think it's your, your and principle. A lot of people in life will benefit by having a direct relationship with you because you bring the and principle. You might help them doing your core stuff in real estate, but you might also help them in something else you know, that you're interested or, or doing. And that's like, that's the network effect. And if you're not going to have a network effect if your only relationship through everybody is Instagram one way relationship. Yeah, there's a great, there's a great tool and a great platform, but hey, why not have relationships with everybody and, and know who they are, know where they live, know what they want, you know, serve them more things. One of the last questions I have for you, and I reached out to you and asked you to do this. And I told you the title of the podcast was Big Money Energy without knowing anything about it. What did you think? Well, I'm just going to tell you something. Honestly, one of the other skill sets I have, which I think I was kind of maybe it was a quality that I was born with, is I, when I meet people, I sometimes get like a sensation that I know that they're going to be super successful. 
So the minute I met you, and I can name a whole bunch of other super successful people I've met, even when they weren't successful yet, that I was like, this guy's going to be successful. And again, going back to the stage point, I'm, I'm on your team. Anything you want me to do to help you, I'm going to do. Only because I know you have the drive from talking to you for, you know, a minute and a half. I was like, this guy knows the formula and he's working the formula and in a good way for, for humans and sharing his knowledge. So when you asked me to do anything, I said, of course. And I, and I, I think that the energy piece is important. You know, Jack Welch said something, I think it's in one of his books, you know, he had, he had a way to assess people and the first two assessment, he had these things, the four E's and a P um, and a couple other things, but two of the first four E's were energy. Number one of yourself and two is to be able to bring out energy in other people. And you have that. So when you asked me to do this, I figured it would probably help build the stage. Maybe, maybe for you, I don't think you are, you already got your own stage, but you know, maybe somebody else gets helped. Um, so that, that's what it is. And I think you have that, the first two, you, you got all those principles, but you, the first two E's are like your title speaks right to that. This has been great. Thank you so much and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. See you, Ryan. All right, see you, man. If you're ready to take action today based on Tim Armstrong's entire blueprint for how he got to where he is, go to bigmoneyenergy.com slash podcast to download an action plan I put together for you, as well as the show notes. That's bigmoneyenergy.com slash podcast. Find more podcasts like Big Money Energy on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Big Money Energy is hosted by me, Ryan Serhant. It's produced by Mike Coscarelli and Joe Laresca and executive produced by Lindsay Hoffman. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.